Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick. I'm really excited to be introducing you to the first season of Waldorfy. This introductory season I've titled Waldorf Basics, where my aim will be to cover a broad introduction to Waldorf education and touch on anthroposophy. In these first two episodes, I'll be exploring the question, what is Waldorf education? I will be speaking with two Waldorf teachers who've devoted their whole career to the Waldorf approach. In this episode, I'm excited to be speaking with guest Glenn Graham. Glenn has four years of experience as a Waldorf class teacher, and after having her two lovely children, she went on to become a handwork teacher for 25 years, many of which she also served in a leadership role in the school. Her husband, Anthony, is a biodynamic farmer and helped found the first CSA in America, the Wilton Temple Community Farm, which both she and Anthony are still involved with to this day. She's continued to teach part-time, even as she is now a very active grandmother. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you. I'm so excited to speak to you today about Waldorf education. What I'm hoping to do here is introduce Waldorf education and its beginnings and some of the things that really distinguish it from a traditional form of education. So I'm looking to do that for our listeners. So to start off, could you give me a a little introduction to how Waldorf Education was founded? Well, the first school started in 1919, so in Stuttgart, Germany. It began because of really the First World War. So 1919 was right at the end of the First World War, and Rudolf Steiner, who is a philosopher, scientist, spiritualist, had noticed, and we see it today as well, actually, that often people in power, money, finance, drives decisions in society rather than individuals making moral decisions. And he was already noticing that way back. And he was asked by Emil Malt, who was the owner of the Stuttgart Waldorf Astoria cigarette factory, who was a follower of his, a a student, to become the director and start a school for the factory children, factory workers' children, with the hope that if education could be brought to children such that they could learn to be independent and free of these kind of forces in society, better decisions could get made and so prevent warlike behavior. So he agreed to do that, and that was the first Waldorf school, and it was because he had a particular view on child development and human growth that Emil Malt asked him to do this. And where did he develop that viewpoint on education? Did he have experience in teaching before? Or was, was he a teacher of young children before he founded his own philosophy around education? He was not a teacher in a classroom, but as a young student, he was asked to tutor at least one, and I think two, I can't remember exactly the details, children, um, one of which had all sorts of developmental delays. And out of his philosophy and thinking about what is thinking, what is education, actually more 
what is human development and therefore what is appropriate to bring to children at various ages. And of course, he had a deeper insight than most people. He developed his theory of education and he did take into account other theories of education. It sounds like his interest in creating a really good system for education was not just in his interest in helping children, but also helping society, it sounds like too. Yes, everything that he developed along the way came as a result of questions from people. So you heard that my husband's a biodynamic farmer. Um, this form of, edu of agriculture was developed because he was asked by farmers, how can we have a renewal of farming that takes into account a fuller, richer view of what the earth is? He was asked by doctors to develop a different way of healing, also taking into account the special view of the human being that he developed. And then he turned his focus to, because of the war and the disaster that that brought and what he could see, to that political, social activism, I suppose you could say. And so he was eager to bring education that may make that possible. He had tried beforehand to work with some of the leaders in Europe after the war when they were reforming Germany with those ideas, but it didn't work. And so right. education was the next thing. Right. And you were a handwork teacher, as I mentioned, for 25 years. I was interested to hear uh, from my father-in-law, Hugh, that handwork Steiner, who founded Waldorf Education, he thought that it was possibly the most important subject. And handwork is not something that you generally do in a traditional school. You may take a, what is it called? A home ec class or something in high school where you may learn to sew, but you don't do handwork the way that we learn it in, in a Waldorf school. Could you define handwork, I guess, as it is in a Waldorf school? Steiner's view of the child had to do with various capacities that people have for learning. And these tie in, I suppose you could say, to what you always hear of head, heart and hands, or thinking, feeling and willing. Each subject has a particular role to play in developing these capacities for the children, for any human being. There are subjects that are very focused on your ability to think. There are subjects that are, you know, like math, for instance. There, there are subjects that are totally in the realm of the heart, like the artistic things. And then there are subjects that are focused specifically on the doing and the practical life. And that would be the craft work, handwork and woodwork. That description is a little bit simplistic because there's deeper things in each of those subjects. But basically, handwork is then working with all the children, grades one through eight, on the ability to make useful and beautiful things in the world. Mm -hmm. So starting in first grade, they may knit themselves a hat or various little toys. And by eighth grade, when they are in the modern world, working in the Industrial Revolution, learning that, they will sew them on the machine pajamas. Yeah. And all the various stages of development through there. Yeah. And will that vary school to school, the different projects that uh, a classmate work on? Yes. There is a basic guideline of what skills are appropriate for which age, and that has to do with the child's development. But depending on the climate, you may not want to knit a woolen hat if you live in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> so there is, in everything, there is freedom for the teachers to teach to the class in front of them. Yeah. To learn from the children what's appropriate. Right. So tying this into 
what was Steiner's philosophy around, as you mentioned, thinking, feeling, and willing? What what were his feelings around those three things, and how does that relate to Waldorf education? Well, as I said, it's to do those are the three different capacities that people have as ways of learning in the world, and everybody is weighted one way or another. So basically, our age is more focused on the thinking pole, the head pole, the brain, the math, the computer work. It's very obvious that a lot of education is based only on that. And we children go to school earlier and earlier and learn to write and read. You see books teaching three-year-olds, two-year-olds, that sort of thing. The middle is the heart or the feeling realm. And that is, it's not so simple. It's not just artistic work. It's the realm where I suppose you could say it's right-brained kind of thinking. It's the realm where you have feelings, sympathy, empathy, um, where children come in immediately attracted to the good and the beautiful and the true. And then the other pole is the practical, the part where it's called hands, but it's really to do with the limbs and the doing. And that's the most mysterious and the hardest to understand because really that doing or will pole or limb pole or hand pole, it's not just running around the block or random movements that are developing that. It's when one learns to make decisions from the thinking pole and actually use your doing practical side to manifest it, to finish what you start, to actually see something through. Yeah, I have just an anecdote to speak to with that. My own experience going to a Waldorf school and taking handwork and woodwork for eight years, although woodwork starts a little bit later because it would be really challenging to work with woodworking tools with little children. But I remember so distinctly the learning persistence and that relation to willing and wanting to complete a project and then the feeling of of completing it and how good that felt and that I distinctly remember connecting with these classes so it's it's hard for me in a way to imagine not having that as part of my education because it then connected into the other subjects so you know not only was I learning, oh, I have to, you know, sew up the sides of this hat to finish it, but then to go and finish writing a sentence. Well, okay, well, what are the pieces that I need to put together to finish this piece of what I'm working on? So it began to relate into other areas beyond just handwork and woodwork. Yes, and that's very obvious. That, that First of all, in all my years of teaching, I don't think I ever had a child who didn't love handwork. That's partly because you were such a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But really, when you think of what comprises learning, learning of anything, not just handwork, begins with enthusiasm and with joy, as opposed to forces from the outside. You have to learn this because you won't get into Harvard when you're ready for college or whatever it is, any of those forces. So if you can help a child find joy and enthusiasm in learning, and then the second ingredient that's absolutely necessary is the ability to focus and put your attention on what you're doing. And handwork, all the skills in handwork 
are almost designed for that purpose. Yeah, that was definitely a learned uh, quality for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can remember. I, I was, can remember. <laughs> I was not the best at focusing. I can um, remember. And I really had to practice uh, in that realm. And th through the practicing of, you know, making a handwork project, it was something that I really was able to learn over mm -hmm. time. And the other thing that handwork shows you is mistakes can get fixed in a very concrete way. So you don't have to have any fear of learning because you can fix it. Yeah. And pro I guess that's problem solving. Problem solving. Yeah. And then the other thing that is pertinent to the thinking, feeling and willing is that Steiner's picture of child development is not just that of, well, of human development is that we have those three capacities and you want to not dampen somebody who's strong in the thinking pole or strong in the will pole, you want to develop the others. But in development of human growth, there are different periods in your life where each of those capacities are more strong. And so world of education takes that into account. So like, for instance, a, a young child, like your sweet little boy, is more strongly living in the limb pole, in the doing pole, the ability to practice and practice and try again. That's how a child learns to walk and to crawl and to talk. They fall down and they get up and they fall down and they get up. And that is the pole of the limbs or the willing pole. And that's what develops the will is practice. And of course, handwork or learning a musical instrument, you practice you learn to knit and it's really hard and you try again and you practice and you do the next row and then you do the next row. And that develops that capacity, not just to randomly do something, but eventually to do something with intention and with consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so that, that area lasts till the child's about seven. Imitation. The, do the doing. The doing. Yeah. That's how they learn, through imitation, copying the grown-ups around them, running, jumping, so I guess that leads me into, I've kind of heard something about it before, that there are different stages. I mean, all of Waldorf education, from what I've gathered, is about approaching education from this viewpoint of needing to meet the child at the developmental phase that they are at. And I've heard that Steiner has different stages. He kind of, does he have names for the different stages? I know the first one's one through seven. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yes, it is one through seven. And it's basically seven year blocks of period because okay. that is a, a a rhythm of growth in human beings. So that first period is the early childhood. It doesn't have a particular name. Okay. Seven to 14, the main capacity that the child or, yeah, that the child is living in and that you would use as a tool for teaching is the middle, the heart sphere or the feeling sphere. Any subject that you're teaching, if you can bring it to the child with that in mind, with storytelling. I think somebody said, either it was Steiner or some well-known Waldorf teacher, that you really should try and bring the children to laughter and to tears in every lesson. So you're trying to really work with their feeling life with their sympathy for the hero of the story, with their outrage for the wicked person. And even in a math class, you would bring things through the story. You're trying to appeal to the child's ability to see pictures in the world rather than um, through concepts. So you, you're laying a groundwork of 
big, beautiful pictures of the world, which will be the groundwork for the next stage when they go to high school or even starting in middle school, really, which is more focused on the concept and the thinking side. And that's why you hear about learning the four processes in math through stories of the number gnomes that become quite popular, but it could, it could be anything, searching for jewels rather than a workbook of 10 minus 7 is 3. Right. I feel it could be an interesting comparison to make for adults to think of watching a TED. I don't know if you've seen TED Talks. You yeah. watch a TED Talk video and you can imagine sitting there and just watching the video and you're, yourself just watching, you have no emotional reaction to what you're seeing. And then imagine watching a TED Talk and like you said, being brought to tears and laughter within the same 10 minutes, you're probably more likely to feel connected and remember what you saw in that TED Talk than the one where you had no emotional kind of reaction or connection to. So then after this 7 to 14 time where the children um, have been fully awakened in their feeling life and are living with excitement in the world, comes the next stage, 14 to 21, which can begin in middle school, especially now that we are everything's a little bit more advanced than it was in Steiner's time. So middle school through 21 is this age more where it's the thinking pole that is the vehicle for learning. Now, during all these different poles, all three of these different capacities have to be strengthened. It's not that you abandon the fact that you want to be able to complete a task by the time you're older. Right. Hopefully during all this time, the will forces have been developed enough. And even the will forces is maybe is a bit of jargon, but the ability to do what you say you're going to do has been developed. And your empathy and ability to connect with the world has been developed. And now comes a time where you're more ready to form concepts and make connections in a thinking way with all this stuff that's been laid as groundwork. So an example that's often given is, for instance, say, the cycle of water. A little child may say, why is it raining? And we are tempted to say, well, the water evaporates off the pond and then there's condensation and there's these currents that go up into the clouds and condensation happens and a scientific explanation. Whereas really you could just give them a picture and say, well, the warmth of the sun and the sun fairies are carrying the water from, because it's so warm and they want to go and visit the clouds and you could make a picture of it without being sentimental and you may not feel comfortable saying fairies, but you could, you could give a picture of what's actually happening in a picture form without using scientific description. Right. It's a way of creating imagery. Imagery. And then when the child is older and they're in high school or middle school, they will be ready to actually learn the scientific, that water expands and it goes, et cetera, et cetera, in a more scientific way. That's that period of the thinking. So there's another way of describing the development other than thinking, feeling, and willing. And that has to do with the human being as being more than just a physical body. And we all in some way unconsciously aware of that. We all know that we are more than just our body, and you become especially aware of it when you're sick. Whatever illness you have, and it's often the case with cancer patients, you have to remind them to say, I am not cancer. I am still 
Glyn, I just happen to have a physical condition right now. I'm not a cancer patient. So we are aware that we are more than our physical bodies. And Steiner has very detailed descriptions of the different levels of our being that develop through different ages. There's probably not time to go into all of that. But oh, we can find time in another episode, <laughs> I'm sure, if you'd like. Um, but really at the 21-year period, somewhere around there, is the stage where we have fully incarnated all our different energetic forces. And he calls the 21-year period as our ego is fully um, incarnated. And so from then on, you are acting as an adult and hopefully you have balanced all your forces. And when you say forces, you're I relating mean, that kind of willing, feeling, thinking as yes. forces. I, sorry, okay. I should have said capacities. Okay. When you have balanced all your capacities okay. by then. Um, and it's not that anyone becomes fully balanced. There are always people who tend to more to the artistic way of expressing themselves in the world and others who are more likely to be thinkers. But the real geniuses, if you think of someone like Einstein, the real geniuses in that way use the artistic and the willing forces along with their thinking. So this is something St. Francis said, and before I read it, don't get stuck on the fact that he's using words like laborer, craftsman, artist, literally because we all are sometimes laborers and we sometimes do things in a craftsman way. He who works with his hands is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. He who works with his hands, his head and his heart is an artist. So if you think of all the geniuses, Einstein, Beethoven, Michelangelo, so they may have been craftsmen or laborers or artists, but the ones who accomplished things in the world that lasted forever were artists. Right. I mean, you could even relate that to, like you're saying, architecture or today even technology. And, yes, and technology, completely yeah. and technology. Yeah, because you're having to use all of those capacities to be able to develop something so great. Yes, and as a person, you may be stronger in one or the other, but that's what I think Waldorf education is trying to do, is to try and give the child the freedom to become who they really are and to be free of external influences. And so the teacher's job is to learn from the children and to, as Steiner said somewhere also, the teacher's role is to remove hindrances so that the child can become and bring the gifts that they bring with them and develop those to their full capacity. The other thing is, you know, Waldorf education, the way I'm describing it, is kind of the ideal. There's Waldorf education, and then there is the people who do it. Right. <laughs> so in any particular Waldorf school or situation, there are the teachers and the parents and where the school is and how much it costs and there are the people who are do it, doing it. And we don't always all manage to manifest our ideals completely ideally. So it's appropriate that you look and see what else is there and who the teachers are in the other schools and who's going to suit, who is your child? Right. What is going to suit your child? As long as you are doing that with the freedom and the knowledge of what you're looking for. Right. Sometimes homeschooling may be fine, yeah. depending on your child. 
and what's available. I'm not sure that I would say Waldorf education is the answer for every situation, mm-hmm. but I would say that the training and the intention is to meet each child where they are and help them to develop into the best that they can be. And perhaps all teachers in their hearts feel that, but some are less free to do that. And some are constrained by outside testing and rules and regulations, or are limited by their view of what a human being is. So I've heard, just to address some common criticism, people sometimes wonder if Waldorf education somehow isn't academic enough. But do you think that that comes from the fact that some of the introduction of the more academic subjects like reading or perhaps some math concepts come a little bit later to meet the child and they're developmentally ready? That's my first question. And in addition, I guess, to that, this is my second question, do you think that could be because as you mentioned Steiner in Steiner's approach to Waldorf education, the intellect is really further developed at this age of 14 to 21. And I'm not sure, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but would you say there are more Waldorf schools, at least in North America, that are K through eight or even K through five or something? Yes, I think you've got it exactly. Um, that they parents or the criticism that it's not academic enough does come from the fact that with the wish to address where the child's at, there are there's more emphasis on the building images and building pictures than on the academic. So if they were compared to children in some other school, at any particular age, they may be further behind in some aspects, although they would be way ahead in some of the other aspects. So yes, that's right. Yes, and there are definitely more elementary schools and even more kindergartens. That often starts first with the big need for protecting early childhood from our rushed, busy, modern life. Outside influences. Outside influences that actually, you know, if the child is developing and learning in those early years through moving. And when you think of a modern child spending so much time in a car, driving, even if parents are doing the best they can, this is not a criticism, but they're siblings that have to get driven to school and this lesson and that lesson. And often a little child will spend a lot of time in the car. And then, of course, there's, you know, screen time, etc. when they come home and how few children actually are able to imitate their parents sweeping or scrubbing and any of those kind of bodily movements that actually are proven, not by Waldorf people, to develop the brain, literally. Right, the imitation play that they do. The imitation play, but even beyond that, literally physically moving across your body and across the midline and developing the connection between your right and left brain those kind of physical movements, starting with crawling, actually physically develops the neural pathways. So it's not even a matter of just mm, imitation. It's actually physically develops those neural pathways. And handwork plays part in that as well, because you are often crossing the midline. Right. From what I've gathered and from what we've discussed today, it seems with this theme we've been talking about, thinking, feeling, willing, and the 
desire to approach the entire child, not just their thinking mind through education, that you could definitely describe the Waldorf approach as a very holistic approach. Would you agree that's true? Yes. Yeah. I, I could say it's it's a holistic approach and more and more schools are also claiming to be to to come from a holistic point of view and address head, heart and hands, which is wonderful. I think the difference between that sometimes could be the world of education is based on the knowledge brought by Steiner that other people have lived into and made their own, that the human being is even more than head, heart and hands. They are more than their physical body. And it's actually a spiritual view of what the human being has come to earth to do. So that may be the difference between the holistic approach of head, heart and hands in many schools, in, in that the world of education approaches each child as coming with their gift mm -hmm. and what did they come to earth to accomplish. Yeah, that acknowledgement that children are greater than just writing or even doing a handwork project or something like that. Yes, they're greater than all of that. And they may be our teachers. Yeah. They may be wiser than us, that they have come with certain gifts that we are there to guide them to develop. So what I'll leave everybody with is, of course, to thank you for all this wonderful information. But also, if anyone listen, listening to this has questions for you more about Waldorf education or what, anything we've discussed today, that they can, of course, reach out to me. They could send me an email through the website or leave a comment on the show notes page, and I can ask Lynn and you know, get back to you. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really hope that you know we are creating a resource that people can access easily and have a better, deeper understanding of Waldorf education. So thank you so much for contributing to that. Thank you. Thanks everybody so much for listening. Remember, this is a two-part episode, so I hope you'll tune in to episode 102, where I'll be taking a deeper look at the Waldorf curriculum and its aims. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode. You can always send me a message at info.waldorfy at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. You can find lots more information at waldorfy.com and I hope you'll connect with me on social media at bwaldorfy. I'm active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again for listening in everybody. Be well. Be well.